Powered by Clear Vision Development Group, this is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Better Than Before. Hopefully, you have all your fingers and all your toes coming off the 4th of July holiday. Thank you for downloading our podcast every week and listening, and uh, we want you to know we appreciate you. You can get us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and if you have Amazon's Alexa, I have figured this out. (laughs) If you have Amazon's Alexa, you can tell it. Alexa, enable the better than before skill. And uh, once she does that, then you can say, Alexa, play the better than before podcast. And she will play it for you on Echo or uh, Dot or any of those Amazon devices, hmm. which is kind of cool. Yeah. And if you have Google Home, you can say, Google, play the better than before podcast. Awesome. Huh. So that's kind of cool. If you want to contact us, you can email us at info at clearvisiondevelopment.com. If you want to follow us on Twitter, I am at Tony Richards 4. And our company uh, Twitter account is at clearvisiondev. If you want to uh, give us some information or contact us on Twitter, you can use the hashtag better than before. And uh, before we recorded today, I intended to look on Twitter to see if there were any hashtags and I forgot. So I will do that later today just to check in on that hashtag stream and see if anybody has left us a present there. So Fourth of July experiences. How was your fourth, Bill? It was awesome. Uh, Hung out with the parents and we barbecued. And uh, What'd you barbecue? We did burgers and, and hot dogs, the usual. Whitney? We went to the Naturals game in Arkansas and also had hot dogs. What'd you do for your birthday? I went down to Lake of the Ozark with my mom for a girls weekend. We do that every year regardless, but it just happened to fall on my birthday this time. So did you celebrate the 4th here in Columbia? No, I celebrated the 4th in Arkansas. And then you all came back here (laughs) and then you all went back south? Yeah, my husband picked me up on the way, so I didn't have to drive as far back. All right, well... Still like riding miles in cars, I guess. (laughs) No, I'm good for a while. (laughs) Anne-Marie spent uh, 4th of July with her family in North Dakota, so I pretty much was a bachelor all week. And my big endeavor was to keep the dogs all calm while people shot fireworks on the 4th and the 5th and the 6th (laughs) and the 7th and the 8th. It's difficult getting them to go out and do their business uh, when there's big booms going on but um, we got through it i tricked them normally i just feed them dog food in pellet form but i started uh, putting some soft food underneath the pellets in the bottom of the bowl and so they started trying to dig in and get that and they had to eat the whole thing to get it to it so i got to be smarter than a blue healer which is a challenge for me but (laughs) i did trick them into doing that I did see a movie over the last week, I I think it was Friday night maybe, that I didn't include in my list of movies, of movies that I really, really enjoy, and I hadn't seen this movie in quite some time, and I watched it on Friday night, and it had the same effect on me Friday night that it did the very first time I ever saw it, and that was The Pursuit of Happiness, which I just have a tremendous amount of gratitude Every time I watch that movie, it's the story of Chris Gardner, 
and uh, his son, after his wife leaves them, they become homeless for a while while he's trying to take a test to become a stockbroker. And it ends up, he ends up founding his own uh, stock brokerage and all that. But the hardships that they go through and sleeping in the subway, riding the subway train all night, trying to rush down to the church-sponsored uh, shelter for food. And my gosh, it just, every time I watch it, it is a movie that, Definitely, I feel the emotion of it whenever I watch it. But uh, I did; it didn't make my list. I don't know why I hadn't thought about it before. But uh, there's probably several like that. Um, so Amazon continues its expansion. Amazon is now getting in the mail order prescription business because they're buying PillPack, the company called PillPack, and so they're going to be in the pharmacy business. I've noticed it's doing the same thing as like Stitch Fixes now too, which is like we'll send you wardrobe pieces and then you just send back what you don't want. So it's taking a few different routes. Wow. So I got another Amazon story here I want to share with you. But uh, before I do, what's the update on the kids in the cave? Well, as of today, they've got four more boys out, which is a total of eight. So yeah. there's only four left and their coach, who I believe is 25. Wow. Well, our hearts and minds and thoughts and prayers are with those people. And one of the rescuers had died, right? They did on Friday. They passed out and then had later passed away after changing out some of the um, oxygen tanks in the in the cave. Because yeah, they got to go through water to get to right. them, right? And that's the problem is a lot of these boys that are ages 11 to 16, they've never dived before. Some of this issue is trying to train them and get them to follow. Yeah, be able to execute right? for somebody right. who's never done diving. And it's pitch black down there as well. So it's definitely very scary. Thank God for people who do that, that are able to help these kids get out uh, of the cave. That's that's terrible. Mm-hmm. So another thought on Amazon. So check this out. This is from an article written by Kathy Kristoff, and this is from the CBS Money Watch website. If you've always dreamed of starting your own business, Amazon has a deal for you, but you may want to think twice before you accept it. In an effort to ensure that the Seattle-based company can make good on its increasingly demanding product delivery schedule, Amazon is offering to help set you up in the delivery business. So if you always wanted to be able to be in the delivery business and take packages to people at their homes and businesses, Amazon can help you out. The initial investment is $10,000 and the company says it can get you leased vans, insurance, gas cards, and training to launch your own delivery fleet. The site also promises to be your first and possibly only customer. A delivery fleet owner with 20 to 40 vans can potentially earn $300,000 a year, Amazon says. Wow. Wow. Individual owners can build their business knowing they will have delivery volume from Amazon, access to the company's sophisticated delivery technology, hands-on training, and discounts on a suite of assets and services, including vehicle leases and comprehensive insurance, Amazon said in a press release Thursday. The catch is there's no guarantee you'll make the $300,000 or any profit for that matter. In fact, you may be able to earn more on an hourly basis by simply delivering packages on your own without investing the time and money required to start your own business. The costs of working with Amazon are so substantial that independent delivery companies 
are increasingly turning away Amazon business, says Peter Schlachtus, co-founder of the Association for Delivery Drivers. And the reason is that Amazon requires that delivery companies hire their drivers as employees rather than work with independent contractors. The challenges of doing delivery work for Amazon have taken many dozens of delivery owners by surprise. My read is that Amazon is doing this to address a dwindling supply of independent delivery companies who are willing and able to work with them. So there's must be like a sweet spot in there between no deliveries and they're taking up more of my time and I'm making less than just delivering regular packages. Mm-hmm. Right. So why is Amazon's requirement that you hire rather than contract with drivers so onerous? Because it subjects the delivery company to a wide array of expenses from employment taxes, workers' comp, and unemployment insurance levies as well as to substantial additional liability. If an independent contractor gets into an accident, they cover the damages and liabilities from their own insurance. If they are your employee, you are liable. Worse, he says, if your van is emblazoned with an Amazon logo, it may put a target on your back. When people see a major company's logo on your van, they won't hesitate to make a claim and to make a claim more aggressively than if they think they're dealing with a small business with limited resources. That's kind of crazy. To make the kind of money Amazon is talking about requires an extraordinary amount of work. You've got to find 20 to 40 fit and reasonable individuals with good driving records to operate your vans, do background checks, and process employment paperwork, and then manage the mind-boggling job of scheduling not only their time, but the delivery of thousands of packages per month within tight allotted time frames. It's a 24-7 management commitment. It'd be interesting to see what your pay would work out to on an hourly basis. And he also says there's never been a better time to be a delivery driver or operate a delivery business because more sales are happening online and more companies are trying to compete on service as well as sales and delivery drivers are in high demand. Solo delivery drivers can make thirty to $50,000 a year with nothing more than a passenger car. If you have a van... You can really make money, I guess, twice as much as that. You can make twice 50. That's $100,000 doing delivery. Wow. You can even drive for Amazon without starting a business. Amazon Flex hires independent contractors to deliver packages and pays between $18 and $25 an hour, according to job rating and review site SideHustle.com. Sounds promising. When you first think about it, you think, wow, ten grand, and I'm in delivery business, but... I mean, operating 40 vehicles on a day, yeah. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, doing the logistics in cooperation with Amazon. Right. And maintenance. But driving for them. And I wonder if like a delivery service, you can do it like in the middle of the night if you wanted to. I don't know. I, like it Uber? On, yeah, like Uber. It kind of depends on what the customer chooses for delivery options. Uh, maybe. Right. Well, and does the customer get an option in terms of does Amazon deliver it or am I going to allow an independent contractor to deliver it? I doubt that if you're choosing an item on Amazon, I bet that probably won't change. You yeah. still have prime shipping, two-day costs a little bit, one-day costs a lot mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. And then they just logistic it out. Right to the delivery, whoever that's going to be. Because I saw the other day where UPS and FedEx were, I don't know, they were, they were having a problem with Amazon or something. They they got into it somehow or another, or they weren't going to be able to have the capacity 
it's almost like they have to choose, am I going to deliver everything else or am I going to just do Amazon? In their business model, I guess one or the other, they can't serve Amazon and everything else, maybe. Well, and I know that Amazon and some of the larger cities are not only doing like one day delivery, they're also doing like two hour delivery. So I don't know if this is to kind of try and take that nationwide. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to do more research. Yeah, on it, but it's interesting. It's very interesting. Wonder if one of our listeners will shuck up the ten grand and get into uh, <laughs> Amazon delivery. So then, on top of that, speaking of disruption in the marketplace, my friend Peter Diamandis, he is a futurist. I've talked about him before on the show. His thing is to proclaim what's going on in the business world and disruption of various business and this, that, and the other. I got an email from him yesterday, and the title of the email was "The Future of Advertising." And so I thought I'd share a little bit of that email with you guys um, today. In 2018, the global advertising industry is projected to surpass $550 billion. Advertising revenues have driven Google's valuation to $700 billion and Facebook to $500 billion, and all of that is about to change. What if I were to tell you that the advertising business as we know it today is going to disappear, collapse, and dematerialize? Really? Does anybody have their attention radar going yet? (laughs) So he gives a little history and perspective here in the email. He says, the TV show Mad Men fictionalizes the classic 1960s Madison Avenue advertising agency where print, television, and radio ruled the roost and defined how companies pushed their products to the consuming public. There's no question that when the dot-com revolution came along, few understood the disruptive impact of the technology. Now, less than 20 years after the dot-com bust, Google and Facebook combined to to command more of the advertising market than all print media on the planet. To provide perspective, Google's ad campaign revenue totaled over $95 billion in 2017. Facebook's ad revenue reached over $39 billion over the same period. Both Google and Facebook are roughly a decade old, and together they make up roughly 25% of all global advertising expenditure. And he's got a cool little graph here. 25% of global ad spend goes to Google or Facebook. He says, in 10 short years, virtually the entire advertising industry has transformed into digitized social media marketing fueled by open source e-commerce platforms, mobile devices, and breakthroughs in digital payment infrastructure. Now, here's where he goes into the disruption that he believes is going to happen in advertising. And this is going to freak you out a little bit because even as forward thinking as I am, I had not really thought about this. Okay. Mm -hmm. The purpose of today's advertising campaigns is to convince you to buy a certain something. They extol the benefits and buy this product because it will make you more popular, more sexy, more successful, so on and so on. What happens in the future when it's not you making the purchasing decisions, but instead your artificial intelligence is buying for you? Imagine your own personal version of Jarvis from Iron Man. Ooh. Imagine a future when you simply say to Jarvis, hey, I need some toothpaste. Buy me some. So they're going to start marketing to Jarvis now. (laughs) So Jarvis watches the TV advertising campaign filled with bright white smiles, right? No. In a nanosecond, it considers the molecular formation of all the options, 
pricing, the published client satisfaction reports, and maybe it also evaluates your genome to understand exactly which flavor formulation is likely to excite your taste buds the most. And then it buys it. That's pretty cool. That's really cool. Frankly, in the future, you'll never have to actually ask them to purchase it. Jarvis will be monitoring your supply of regularly consumed items from toothpaste to butter and will be able to order them auto-magically before you even know you need them. How about the purchase of something new? Say, for example, a drone your son wants for his birthday. In this case, you'd likely just specify the functionality you desire. Hey Jarvis, could you buy me a drone for under $100 that's easy to fly and takes great photos? Even today, there are only a few things that I want to go buy myself to look at the ads, do comparison shopping, and so forth. But what about clothes and fashion decisions, you might say? Are you going to trust your AI to choose your clothing? Probably not, but I do imagine an AI that listens to my daily conversations, tracking my eye movements as I window shop, and actively pattern matching me across my social circles. Because my AI knows which of my friends I tend to dress like, it can do a damn good job of down-selecting my clothing choices for me. We're heading toward a future where, regardless of the product or service category, your AI will make the majority of your buying decisions, and this paradigm shift poses a tremendous threat to traditional advertising. I often speak of the six D's of exponentials, digitized, deceptive, disruptive, dematerialized, demonetized, and democratized. Right now, we are experiencing the dematerialization and demonetization of advertising thanks to the power of artificial intelligence and prominence of social networks. But maybe there's a seventh D, dismissed meaning that companies are going to be dismissed by the consumer who will delegate their artificial intelligence to make all purchase decisions. And at the end of the day, my AI will make purchases for me based on fundamental metrics, which product choice is the healthiest, the lowest cost, the safest, and best aligned with my social graph. I will not care about any ad, and when I have my AI to make optimized decisions for me, I will no longer trust traditional ads. For the consumer and for those of you in the advertising business, change is occurring at an unprecedented rate. That's crazy. How soon will this happen? Nobody knows. <laughs> I mean, and that's always the question. But I can tell you this. I have seen enough technology progress, and so have you guys over the last several years, to not say the phrase, nobody will ever do that. Right. You can't mm -hmm. say that. I remember in 1995, I was one of the few people I knew who actually had internet access. And by 1997, it seemed like everybody had it. Right. My concern would be about how accurate the AI would be, because anyone with Netflix knows when they're like, oh, these are recommended to you. You're like, these don't look right. <laughs> I think sometimes my Netflix doesn't understand what I watch. Yeah, I think uh, AI is all a work in progress, mm -hmm. and I think it slowly but surely gets better. I know that first version of Siri was horrible, mm. and uh, mine still doesn't talk Southern. But, <laughs> but I, I probably will, you know, over time. So, Whitney, you seem to be knowledgeable and uh, because I was a big comic book fan when I was a kid, but have not seen all the Marvel movies. What is Jarvis exactly? Jarvis is the AI assistant to Iron Man. Whenever he's in his suit, he'll ask Jarvis to help him. So he's kind of like his Siri equivalent, but a lot smarter. So advanced version yes. of AI, yes. so advanced Alexa or mm -hmm. whatever. 
Are you going to trust AI to order your toilet paper for you, Bill? Sure. I mean, would you do it now? Yes. Yeah. So I've been thinking about, uh, thinking about that and I, I've attempted a couple of times to just put our most used items and trying to figure out the pattern of usage mm-hmm. and how often we need stuff on an Excel spreadsheet, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but I never get very far into the project, you know. Yeah, I've been doing that a little bit with Amazon with some of the products that I use regularly. Yeah, Amazon's got the grocery side, so you can do like a subscription-based service to where once a month or however long right. you specify. And then they've got those buttons where you can just push it when you're done. But I think that's silly to have buttons all over the house. It's like, oh, I'm out of laundry, so I'm going to push this button. Oh, I need more dish soap. I'm going to push What's this button. What's silly about it? It just seems like my house would be full of buttons, like on every appliance. I don't know. Maybe it's a nice decor, but not to me. You'd have to pass the Anne Marie aesthetic test. I doubt it would. <laughs> I haven't. I don't know what one looks like. I don't either. Are they big or small? Uh, they almost look like a pill capsule, about two inches long, and then they have a button, and then on the other side of it, the logo. So if you buy Tide Pods, it would have the Tide logo and then a button. So you just push it, and Amazon gets that you want it reordered. Very cool. That is it's cool. neat. I think that's pretty cool. All yeah. over the place. I think I need to check it out. So where do you think advertising will fall in this uh, future? Well, the problem is is that the prediction of the death of advertising has been going on since advertising started. And everything that's come along was going to kill it. You know, cable TV was going to kill it. And, and then, you know, the Internet was going to kill it. And then social media was going to kill it, which is kind of his thesis here. Uh, but nothing has killed it yet, which makes you think, nothing's gonna kill it and then that's probably when it will get killed but uh, i don't have any idea because i'm thinking there's always going to be new services and products and how do you get the word out yeah well i don't don't know the way you introduce those i guess is wide and varied right well and what he's saying here is especially with the dismissive part of it is that if you as an individual was just to dismiss any sort of purchasing power that you have just off to your jarvis and let them do it they're still not taking into consideration that people still have eyes and ears and they're still going to be walking around town and they and advertising can still exist and they can instead say, hey, Jarvis, I want to buy this drone. Or, hey, there's a new American doll out. I want to buy this American doll. Because there is a bit of a cultural, like tribal part of advertising where we want to be a part of those communities. Like people that buy Adidas, you know, feel like a community Um, with other people that buy Adidas. Same thing with like Harley Davidson. So I think we're going to have a hard time getting away from that side of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's part of why our clients hire us is to provide this kind of information to them so they can make the business decisions that they need to make in order to uh, be more successful in the environment. So we'll just have to keep an eye on it and, and see, you know, where the trend goes and where the actual you know, where it actually goes. And I, I wouldn't mind being the guinea pig for it. I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't mind trying out the AI. I got this close, and I'm showing a very small gap. I got this close to buying an Echo last week. After I researched and found out you could enable our podcast with Alexa, mm-hmm. and I was thought, I'll just buy an Echo and do it. And I, I didn't, but... I'm close enough that anything at all could push me over the edge. Mm-hmm. So what's holding you back? Well, I think Anne-Marie getting home and having the 
tower in my office going, oh, you did that while I was gone, huh? <laughs> maybe I maybe I just didn't want to have that conversation. But um, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to get one. Of course, I know I'm going to get one. I'll probably have one at home. I'll probably have one in my office here um, at the Clear Vision building. What do you think about the surveillance part of it, though? Because, like, the thing that I've always, like, kind of kept me from doing Echo on home is that they're listening even when you don't have them enabled even without you saying hey alexa or hey google home or hey google whatever it is well i only say interesting things better better than before podcasts so somebody's going to be incredibly bored (laughs) i wonder if that's in the disclaimer somewhere no see now i gotta for research for the company i'm gonna have to buy an amazon echo so i can read all the fine print so I can see what the disclaimers are. Mm-hmm. There you go. I bet it's got to be in there, right? I would think so. Mm-hmm. Like I agree to the the part that nobody ever reads. Right. They just want to download the software so they check agree and move on. Mm-hmm. Um, which gets back to the the whole Facebook debacle. They are still trying to fix that. They published some direct messages, like the some people sent some messages back and forth on Messenger, and they got published on their. Uh, Facebook uh, homepage, so everybody saw the direct message. They got in trouble. Oh wow! I heard about that. Yeah, yeah. So be careful what you put on Messenger because it could possibly get on the mainstream where everybody can see it. Okay, so if you had AI that would do all this stuff, what's the first thing you'd order? Which I guess you won't have a choice; it'll do it for you. <laughs> but if you're trying to let me let me rephrase the question, so you're trying to train it. You're trying to train your own personal Jarvis to order for you. What's the first thing you're going to try to train it to do? I think like you were saying, like toiletries, things that are basic. I mean, if they get the, you know, instead of getting Charmin, they get a different brand. It's low risk. I don't know if this would work, but I'll give you a perfect example. Every now and then, probably every six months or so, so twice a year, I want an extra pack of razors put in my Dollar Shave Club. Because it's they send me one pack every month, which has four in it, and Anne Marie and I share, so that means some months I'm a little short and I need another one, but about twice a year. So I would probably say AI tell Dollar Shave Club to send me an extra pack of razors, or something along those lines. What would you try to train it to do, Bill? I was thinking about this. Um, I'm I'm with Whitney. I think the toiletries, you know, the daily stuff that you use, um, that would save me a trip to walmart i wonder if you get to pick your name of your ai i would hope so i wonder if you could say design and have printed some personalized customized christmas cards for me and have them (laughs) i could see that going terribly wrong (laughs) (laughs) but i'd like to experiment with it you know all right. So if you've got ideas, I'd like to hear your thoughts uh, if you're listening to our, our show today. This, this brings up a bunch of thoughts, and I'd like to hear what you all think about it. You can email us at info at clearvisiondevelopment.com, or you can uh, hashtag better than before on Twitter. I'm just interested. Uh, or you could uh, go post a comment on our Facebook uh, Clear Vision Development Group uh, Facebook page. Or message us, and it may show up there anyway. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so uh, I've got a book review, uh, The Power of Broke by Damon John. We'll talk about that next on Better Than Before. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. 
Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before, and uh, we're going to do a book review today. Last week, I had some extra time, so I read the book The Power of Broke by Damon John. Damon John is a fashion mogul, entrepreneur, author, investor, and motivational speaker. He developed his entrepreneurial spirit while working full-time and going to high school. His mom actually took a second mortgage on their house for $80,000 so she could spend more time with Damon and mentor and work with him without having to worry about working a second job or providing for the family. And she was so confident in his abilities and skills that she did that. She did not work. She took a second mortgage on the house so they would have money and food on the table and be able to pay their expenses. She believed in him that much. Wow. wow. And that story is pretty cool that's in the book. He later managed a commuter van service and developed an iconic fashion label out of home-sewn clothes. The other thing about Damon John I didn't know is he has dyslexia. He's on Shark Tank. You guys watch Shark Tank? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So four out of the seven investors on Shark Tank, and I don't know which ones, but I think four out of the seven that are on there regularly have dyslexia. Really? Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So it was almost like, we have to create something in order to make a living because they had that issue. Co-authored by Daniel Paisner, who is a writer who has worked with many celebrities and stars. The name of the book, the whole title is The Power of Broke, How Empty Pockets, a Tight Budget, and a Hunger for Success Can Become Your Greatest Competitive Advantage. It's an inspirational guide for the entrepreneur who suffers from a lack of resources. And through the book, readers learn the lessons gained from a guy who built a fashion label out of home-sewn clothes and other everyday people who transformed their lack of resources into a powerful competitive advantage. So his mom taught him how to sew and he started out by sewing hats yeah he made the clothes that he was marketing and selling this book the power of broke was released in 2016 and he's got a new book out that came out this year called rise and grind i haven't read that one yet but after reading the power of broke i probably will lack of capital is the most dangerous obstacle to a business no matter what stage of growth they're in no stranger to the lack of funds label himself shark tank investor and the fashion mogul who created a powerhouse from scratch damon john shares the key concepts that helped him and plenty of others turn that into a decisive competitive advantage for bootstrapping entrepreneurs like other books for these kinds of entrepreneurs damon john's book offers hope and encouragement and he points to many stories of everyday people most notably a woman who launched a million dollar cupcake business when she only had 33 dollars in her checking account and uh, there's a lot of stories like that the difference in his book is the marriage of business sense to the inspirational message. Instead of crafting elaborate business plans or searching for that one in a million investor, he focuses on proof of concept. And if you've watched Shark Tank, 
It's almost like his deal on Shark Tank. Do you have a patent? Have you built a model? How much have you sold? That Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. He points out in the book, not every entrepreneur, even the best ideas, has access to traditional means of startup capital like loans and investors. And this is often seen as a disadvantage. But he points to the irony that even well-financed businesses are drained of capital because they fail to get new customers. That is the leveling field between all businesses. Whether your business has millions of dollars in assets, every business needs new customers. In search for new customers, businesses can become complacent or overly negative. This is less of a problem for the money-strapped entrepreneur with a product that has been market-tested in the real world. Damon says that's where the potential lies. Using that potential is what helped him develop the now-famous FUBU brand, which he then leveraged to higher levels of success. Organic growth that comes with bootstrapping, he says, is also a competitive advantage. Companies flush with money often overinvest in marketing activities that lack the tenacity, creativity, and straightforward persistence of the bootstrapper. The best part about the power of a broke is twofold. The positive message for bootstrappers and the use of truly everyday people stories. And also he speaks in the language of everyday people, not the expected business jargon. The stories in The Power Broke go more in-depth than most Rise from the Bootstrap stories. As an example, readers encounter the depressing story of Kevin Plank when he didn't even have the $2 to pay the toll on his way home. Power of Broke isn't limited to when you're starting up. He says there are four stages in a business's journey to success. Number one, item. You'll have no name, no logo, no brand, and no marketing, just a product or service that hopefully satisfies a need. How good can you make that item without money? Two, label. Once you do give your product a name, customers have something they can remember and ask for. In 1992, Damon and his four first employees showed up to a trade show they couldn't even afford the booth for. All five slept in one room, but what they represented was FUBU, not themselves. They managed to collect $300,000 in orders. Number three, the brand. A logo, a style, and a brand presence all eventually follow, but even here, you can be creative. In 1997, LL Cool J, who was once Damon's neighbor, pulled another marketing stunt for the brand. He wore his FUBU hat in a commercial he recorded for The Gap and even slipped in the brand's meaning into his rap. That helped a lot, and it was free for Damon. Number four, lifestyle. When your brand reaches the lifestyle status, people are used to good quality and seeing it around and even treat it like a status symbol. The power of broke still works. Apple made their headphones white so everyone would recognize them and that color didn't cost a dime more than black. No matter where you are in your journey as an entrepreneur, the creativity of a broke beginner is always available, but the chances are that's exactly what you are, which means it's time to actually begin. The power of broke can give you inspiration in two ways. Number one, it provides a realistic option for entrepreneurs who feel they lack resources. And number two, it transforms the idea of lack of means into competitive strength, giving readers the initiative to press forward. Of course, people have heard it for a long time, but Steve Jobs sold his car to fund the first few products Apple made. Michael Dell didn't know computers well, so he designed one for amateurs like himself. And in the 90s, Damon John started FUBU without knowing how to draw and only being able to stitch a straight line. 
And one of my favorite quotes from the book is, limits, like fears, are just an illusion. Hmm. I like that. So I highly recommend The Power of Broke by Damon John, who is one of the sharks on Shark Tank. Pretty cool. And I will say this, too. When I was a CEO of multiple media outlets, the ones that were the turnarounds and the ones that didn't have a budget because they weren't making money were the most creative. They always came up with the most creative ideas because it was a necessity because they didn't have extra funds to spend on, you know, listener contests or viewer contests or extra things like that. So they had to think of ways to promote the outlet and all of that. They had to be creative. That was the only option. Okay, so stand by. I've got your leadership and business lesson coming up. We're going to talk about developing your willpower today, and that's next on Better Than Before. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished, but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control. But that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. This is Tony Richards along with Bill Foster and Whitney Coker. And we're going to do a business and leadership lesson around your willpower today. And this month, all of our content is really focusing on leading and developing yourself. And so the standard for a healthy mind is the automatic acceptance of responsibility for one's own actions and choices and the results that come from them. It's a great revelation when we figure out that our current status is the result of the decisions and choices that we have made up until now. And if we want something different as a result, we're going to have to do something different in the formula. The word commitment immediately conjures up in the mind a fear of loss, subservience, or pain. For reasons in the human psyche, the benefit of commitment has to loom large or be of such minimum consequence that there is little to no penalty. I heard something last week that was pretty good. I jotted it down in my journal. This guy was talking about how decisions are made in the mind, but commitment is made in the heart. And commitment is always stronger because it's emotional, where decisions are not as difficult because they're logical. And if you get those mixed up, if you start making decisions with your heart and commitments with your head, you're going to have a mess. But if you have decisions in your head and commitment in your heart, it's going to work out better. The lives of a lot of people are wasted by avoiding, exaggerating, or fearfully and timidly moving in and out of commitments to the point that the very thought of a commitment for life raises such strong protection barriers that the decision to make a commitment is lost in the oblivion of vagueness, uncertainty, and distrust. 
at the end of our life here on this planet, we're going to be able to look back at opportunities lost or gained according to our own willingness to make commitments. The fact that you have come this far in your particular journey indicates your desire for a life commitment toward a predetermined destiny of your own creation. And now is the time for the greatest transaction of your life to do a mighty purpose, to have a collision of magnitude. You may defer it or you may put it off, but that's going to make your heart sick. You've come this far and to move any further is going to require a deliberate dynamic until now till death commitment. The dream that you develop into a vision must now pass through the commitment threshold. Tenacity and perception in partnership with discipline and effort will be essential to produce the end results. I've got eight principles that I want to share with you concerning willpower. Number one, you have to understand the cost-benefit ratio. In other words, what's it going to cost you versus what is the benefit that you're going to get from whatever decision or commitment that you make? A strong will always develops character. And a weak will is the enemy to character. A strong will creates self-esteem, but a weak will always makes shame. A strong will builds relationships, but a weak will destroys trust. A strong will helps, and a weak will hurts. Number two, you got to get rid of the mystique. A strong will is natural, not supernatural, and can be easily understood. If you make a commitment to yourself, then you must develop the integrity to keep it. And what makes a lot of people have low self-esteem is they've broken promises and commitments that they've made to themselves. And you don't trust anybody more than you trust yourself. And when you let yourself down, it tears down your self-esteem. Number three, clarify your values. What are the most important things in life to you? What do you value the most? Make a list of five to seven things that are really important to you and put a value measurement on them on a scale of one to ten. That way you'll always know what's the most important things to you. Where do my boundaries lie? Number four, open up your mind to a new thought. One of the more difficult things about teaching anybody anything new is that they discount it. They will put a lesser value on it than what it is because they don't trust where the information is coming from or they're so cynical about what could be possible for them. They think instead of me believing this and getting hurt, I'll just go ahead and discount it on the front end. That way I don't have to worry about getting hurt so severely. Well, not only does that hurt you short term, it hurts you long term because you have very little to believe in. Number five, make the commencement forward fairly easy. Take the time out to be alone and dream and write a short biography of what you would like your life to be. Then write down the names of all your friends and alongside their names, write how you would like them to describe you five years from now. Or 10 years from now, what do you want your best friends to say about you in the future? Number six, develop the plan. You have to have clarity of thought and an uncluttered lifestyle to know what track you want to run on. A lot of times in order to have something new come into your life, you have to get rid of something old. Might be time to clean out some old stuff to make room for some new stuff. Number seven, lay out your short-term timeline. For about six weeks... And only six weeks, commit yourself to something. See if you can do it for six weeks in a row. 
that would be a strong way to take the first step toward building your willpower and your self-esteem. And number eight, be an owner. It's yours after all. It's your plan. It's your commitment and own it. Owners are stronger than renters. Renters don't take care of the thing they're renting as well as owners take care of the things they own. So you've got to own it. Start taking ownership by documenting your experience every single day. Write down your feelings and your thoughts as you're going through the process. And if you do this three or four times, you're going to start seeing patterns develop. And when you recognize the patterns, you can deal with them instead of the patterns owning you. You can own the patterns. Put your strong points down, your weak points, where you excelled, where you failed, where you're tested, where you passed, where you came up short. Identify the patterns. They are very likely to repeat themselves many times in the future. Within each person, in the subject of growing yourself, there's a fascinating struggle between the will to do and the confusion in finding a clear straight line from where you are to where you want to go. That's because there is no straight line. There's going to be twists and turns, and you've got to develop your own navigation system for those twists and turns. A strong will doesn't mean negatively stubborn, and neither does being tough-minded. Resistance is here to test you and push you backward from your objectives. Developing a strong will is one of your most effective tools to fight resistance and keep you moving forward. Well, that's this week's program. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget, you can subscribe by just hitting the subscribe button on your iTunes on uh, Google Play. You can get us at Stitcher and iHeartRadio. And if you hit subscribe, you'll get a notification when we release a new episode every week. And I really want to thank you and I really enjoy the fact that you're supporting us. Give us a positive review. Give us a five-star ranking. Whatever you can do to help us and we will continue to provide great information for you. We'll see you next week on another episode of Better Than Before. And remember, everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.